You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our gospel text this morning comes from Luke chapter 19. Let us continue to listen to and for the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. And may the direction of your Holy Spirit become our way forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My first year living in Nashville after college, I had the privilege of meeting the Reverend Heidi Hudnut Boimler, who was the pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church at the time. And her husband, Reverend Jim Hudnut Boimler, was the dean of Vanderbilt Divinity School when I started my MDiv and would one day be mine and Douglas Clark's advisor. But before I ever had any association with Vanderbilt Divinity School or with Jim, Heidi had left quite an impression on me. Now, Heidi is a fairly petite woman but she has this most wonderfully joyful, booming voice. And my first encounter with her was when a group of us who were young adult volunteers went to go visit her church one Sunday morning. And I still remember her flinging open the doors of the sanctuary to greet us as we entered. I introduced myself to her and she quickly followed with Leslie Lang, young adult volunteer from Hendersonville, Tennessee, and works at Room in the Inn. Welcome. I had never met this woman before, (laughs) but I immediately felt seen. My friend Jeff will tell you a similar story about Heidi. When the Trinity Presbyterian Youth Group came to volunteer at the organization he worked for, She announced to everyone when they arrived, this is Jeff Moles, former young adult volunteer. He is from Indiana and is a wonderful musician. And what makes this introduction even more impressive is that Jeff had never even officially met Heidi before now. But she knew his name. And she made him and she made me feel like she knew us already. Now, if you haven't caught on to our theme already this morning, names are important. Most babies will consistently recognize and respond to their names as early as six months old. 
And the more I thought about it, I've always been fascinated by the significance behind people's names. I remember when I was little, we had this massive dictionary in our house, and at the back of it, there was this list of popular names and their origins and their meanings. And even as a child, I would frequently search through that book to look up the names of my friends and family members. Today, whenever I do a baptism, I always like to ask the parents about the name that their child, where the name their child got and where it came from. And I also like to look up its meaning and reference that in the liturgy. Names always have a story. And to know someone's name implies that you know something about who they are, who their family is, or where they're from. It at least signals to someone that you see them as a unique individual. In Nashville, when I was working at the Homeless Day Center at Called Room in the Inn, I saw how much of an impact it would make when we knew the participants' names. I can think about multiple situations when I would address people directly and they would look at me in surprise, kind of taken aback, and say, you know my name? I remember one exchange where I said to someone, just in passing, not thinking much about it, well, it was nice to see you today, Johnny. And his reply was, it's nice to be seen. Room in the Inn might very well have been the only place where people actually knew their names. <laughs> so both scripture passages that we heard today touch on this theme. We heard at the beginning of 1 Samuel that the Lord's word was rare at the time. And so when God's voice was sparse, how even more significant it is that the word that God speaks into the temple is a name. Samuel. Samuel. Now in this story, Samuel is confused about who it is that is calling him. But he is certain that he is the one being called. God uses his name to speak to him directly and personally. There is no ambiguity about who it is that the Lord is asking for. Now, maybe to some of you that sounds nice. To me, that sounds a little bit terrifying. Because if I don't hear my name, I can pretend that maybe God is calling somebody else. Or I could assume that God is just giving, you know, a general suggestion to a larger group of people and I could choose to follow or not. But if God calls us by name like he did to Samuel, then that is much harder to ignore. With a name, God calls us out for a specific purpose that is unique just to us. And then in our gospel text, Jesus is out and about among a large crowd of people. And there are so many people that Zacchaeus, who's too short to see over the gathering, has to remove himself from the hustle and bustle. So he climbs up into the tree in order to see Jesus. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if Zacchaeus was perfectly content sitting on the edges of the action just to be an observer of all the commotion that was taking place. As the chief tax collector, he was not the most popular person in town. So perhaps the tree also provided this added benefit of anonymity. But Jesus does not let him off the hook. Instead, Jesus singles him out of the crowd and looks directly at Zacchaeus and calls him by name. And in that moment, everything changed for Zacchaeus. Jesus extends this invitation to him, an opportunity for Zacchaeus to welcome him into his home and to break bread with him, but also to be deeply known by Jesus. The Young Adult Committee and the Missions Committee are probably tired of hearing me say that, this because I say it all the time, but there is such a power in inviting people personally. It's one thing to put a note in the bulletin to ask for volunteers or to share about an event, but it's a completely different thing to reach out to someone, to call them and to speak to them by name and to invite them. The shift changes from it could be anyone to I thought of you specifically. I've noticed that there are times where I'll invite somebody to coffee or to lunch, and often they'll first ask me, is there something specific you want to talk about? <laughs> Which I think is their roundabout way of trying to guess if I'm trying to like volunteer them to do something. And I mean, sometimes yes, that is true. <laughs> but most of the time, my intention with reaching out to someone, inviting them by name to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation is my way of saying, I want to learn more about you. I want to know about your life and what's important to you. Eugene Peterson reminded us in our Godspeed video that it feels nice to be seen. And he says that when Jesus named people, it changed them. No longer are we just a number or a face in the crowd. Jesus reminds us that we are deeply known. And that changes things. Now I have a, I have a confession to make this morning. When I first found out that First Prez was searching for an associate pastor, I immediately wrote you off. My thought was, nope, that church is too big and Spartanburg is too small. <laughs> now there are two very different concerns wrapped up in this. First, I worried that the church would be too big for me to really get to know you and to learn your names. And secondly, I worried that Spartanburg would feel so small that I feared that I wouldn't be able to go anywhere without everyone knowing my name. <laughs> and both of those possibilities felt a little scary. And honestly, now that I have been here happily for over four years, I would say that neither one of those concerns are completely unfounded. 
that there are times that I still lament that I cannot possibly remember everyone's name all of the time. And there are times when I would love to remain anonymous around town, and inevitably that is when I'm going to run into somebody that I know. But I've also learned to appreciate what a great gift it is to be in a town like Spartanburg, where maybe not quite everyone knows your name, but at least you have the opportunity to feel seen and known. Because of its size, it does not take long to feel like part of the community. So if, if I or any of you think that Spartanburg is small, I wanted to put this into perspective just how small the geographic region was where Jesus spent most of his life. So I'm gonna put, we're going to put up here on the screen. You don't have to see the details, but Chris was like, are you sure this is what, this is, what, what you want up here? So in, back up here, we have the map of the city of Spartanburg is in that tan region, which is about 20 square miles. And in 2021, although I'm sure it's grown a lot, the population was about 38,400 people. So now if you'll go to the next slide. This is the region where Jesus spent most of his ministry. This little red triangle, which was only about 12 square miles. And the estimated population was about 1,500 people. So now if you'll show the last one. So this is my attempt to kind of put those on top of each other. But if you see that our small little city of Spartanburg is still about double the size of where Jesus spent as much as 85% of his life and ministry. So we can take that down. And so if you think about it, 12 square miles, 1,500 people, which is less than the number of members in this church. Jesus chose to live among people in small villages where people really knew each other. They didn't move far from where they were born or from where their families were, and they usually stayed put for their entire lives. Now, those of you who have lived in Spartanburg for 30 years or more, just curious, how many people have lived in Spartanburg 30 years or more? Oh, wow. Wow, a lot of you. <laughs> so think about how well-connected you are to this community. Think of how many people's names and families that you know. And I'm sure that a lot of, for a lot of those people, you even know where they live and where they used to live and where they lived before that and who lived there before they did. <laughs> Jesus' entire life and ministry was like that. He wasn't trying to reach the far ends of the earth during his lifetime. But instead, he was deeply invested in the people who he encountered every single day. He knew people's names. He knew their stories and their struggles. And in taking time to build those relationships, he changed people's lives. 
again in our Godspeed video this week, Matt Canlis, the pastor who moves to Scotland to learn about parish ministry, said that he learned that he wasn't there to bring the good news to people, that he was there to be part of their life. I remember similarly, not too long ago, Pastor Scott Neely said in a meeting that one of the only things that God promises to us is that he promises to be with us. That being Christian doesn't guarantee us this life that's free of stress or hardship, but it does assure us that we will never be alone. And so what would it look like for us to follow this example of Christ? To learn people's names, and to listen to their stories, and to just be with one another, even if we don't have the answers, even if we can't solve their problems. It might seem small, but that small thing could change everything. And there's only one way for us to find out. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.